This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. You'll do it right to grow the best garden you can. Lowe's does it right, too, with savings on miracle Grow potting mix with fertilizer to help you get growing. And grow plants twice as big versus unfed plants. Pick up a 50-quart bag now for just $10. Plus, get Bonnie 2.32-quart vegetables and herbs, three for $10. For a garden that's worthy of showing off, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 6-5 while supplies last U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. E-cigs don't burn tobacco leaves, and they come in lots of flavors. That's what tobacco companies tell you. Here are three things tobacco companies don't say. One, many teens don't know their flavored e-cigs have nicotine. Two, nicotine is a poison that can rewire the teen brain. Three, 80% of kids who tried vaping did it because of the flavors. So even when it tastes like candy, nicotine is brain poison. Go to flavorshookkids.org for more. And do my thing. I want to get into it, man. You know, like I, you know, I'm the man, don't you? Can I count it off? One, two, three, four. You're listening to the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibney, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a Christian worldview. Transcend partisanship and political ideology with us as we seek true discipleship in the public square. This is the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibney, brought to you by the Ant Campaign. So glad to be with you this week. On this week's episode, we're bringing to you an interview with pastor and entrepreneur Lee Jenkins. Uh, Lee is the president of the Lee Jenkins Group, a ministry, outreach, financial, education, and consulting firm out of uh, Roswell uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Lee is Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's largest mortgage lender. Spring is prime home buying season, so if you're thinking about buying a home, right now is the time to lock a low rate, which can save you money every month on your new mortgage. With our exclusive Rate Shield approval, the low rate you lock today is protected for up to 90 days while you shop for your new home. With a Rate Shield approval, if rates go up, your low rate stays locked. But if rates go down, you get that new, even lower rate. Either way, you win. Talk to us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com to take advantage. Here's another great reason to work with us. For a record nine years in a row, J.D. Power has ranked Quicken Loans highest in the nation in customer satisfaction for primary mortgage origination. Again, to lock in today's low mortgage interest rate and get the security of our exclusive rate shield approval, call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. For J.D. Power award information, visit jdpower.com. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Also the founder and senior pastor of Eagle's Nest Church outside of Atlanta in Roswell. Uh, Lee is a a pretty incredible man. 25-year career in the financial services industry. His financial advice has appeared all over from CNN to Essence to USA Today. Uh, uh, He's appeared on Christian TV networks. 
We don't get into this in the interview. Uh, he is a proud graduate of the University of Tennessee. So Lee played f- uh, football for University of Tennessee. Uh, Justin played football for Vandy. Uh, and, and, but but hey, we're all family. It's good. And, and you know, I feel like my having no connection to the SEC uh, or you know, no connection to to playing football at a at a high level. Uh, I feel like I was able to, you know, subtly uh, mediate what could have been a really unwieldy <laughs> situation. Uh, all right, folks. Well, hey, th- there's so much we could have talked to Lee about and so much that we uh, have come to uh, really appreciate him for. On this week's episode, we wanted to talk to, to Lee about uh, his work in the area of racial reconciliation and what that has looked like for him as someone who has a national platform uh, but is also the pastor of a local church and what it's looked like to uh, to be in the middle of some, some difficult conversations and trying to move things uh, forward in a healthy way. Uh, I think you're going to enjoy this, uh, this interview. Uh, Justin and I were, were happy to talk Uh, with Lee, and I know we both got a lot out of it. So without further ado, here is Lee Jenkins. What's up, Ann Camp? This is the Church Politics Podcast with Justin Gibney and Michael Ware, where we are trying to uh, give you some uh, perspective on politics from a biblical worldview. Y'all that have been following us for a while know that we give this to you every week and we really try to just, you know, educate you on the civic process. But at the same time, uh, bring some understanding to what's going on with some of the most pressing issues uh, going on today. Mike, how are you feeling this week, man? Oh, I'm feeling great. It's a it's a good one and uh, excited for our guest. That's right. So as many of you know, we have the AND campaign talks a lot about racial reconciliation. There is a racial divide in our church that is just unacceptable. Uh, something has to be done about it. We know that is not God's uh, purpose for us and that we need to, to fix that. And so we have these conversations about racial reconciliation to let people know, number one, that it's a process. Number two, that it will be a painful process because there's a lot of pain that's gone into the division. And so we have a guest that has uh, really uh, his part of his mission is this racial reconciliation and not just talking about it, coming together and singing a song together, but really digging deep and making sure that we're building relationships. And so we have uh, Pastor Lee Jenkins. Uh, Lee is the pastor of Eagles Nest Church in Roswell, Georgia. He's a nationally recognized businessman, an author, a speaker, a financial expert, and a former football player. So, you know, that's close to my heart. Uh, How are you doing today, Pastor? I am doing fantastic, and I'm so excited about uh, talking to you guys about this subject today. Yeah, well, well, thank you for joining us on the Church Politics Podcast. I really just want to first get into your background and then tell us just a little bit about your ministry and how you got into it. Well, I'm a businessman. Well, first of all, I always tell people I am a former jock, former football player. Uh, Yeah, man, played at the University of Tennessee. And um And then, of course, that was my first introduction to the whole issue of racial reconciliation. I grew up in an all-Black environment. And for the first time in my life, as a freshman at the University of Tennessee, um, I found myself in an all-White environment. And so the things that I learned 
uh, from a church perspective, from a political perspective, from a cultural perspective, really served me well later on in life, and even from a business perspective. So started off in sports, got drafted by the New York Giants. That didn't last long. Uh, NFL for me stood for not for long because mm-hmm. it did not last long. From there, I, I went into the business world and spent 25 years as an investment advisor. I was trained on Wall Street and uh, came back from New York and started my career here in Atlanta and uh, had a very good 25-year career. And then seven years ago, at the age of uh, right around 50 years old, which is something people don't do when they're 50, and that is I did a complete change in my career. I went into full-time ministry and um, got out of the investment business, planted a church in Roswell, Georgia, right outside of Atlanta, a very affluent suburb of Atlanta, which is about 82% Caucasian, affluent. um, And we planted a church and it is predominantly African-American in terms of the membership. But we feel that one of our callings and our missions is to reach out Uh, to the majority culture, mostly the white culture, and invite them in so that we can do this racial reconciliation thing the right way. Because for the most part, it's been a one-way street. African-Americans, Hispanics, Asians, minorities going into all white environments. And then we celebrate when we see churches that are diverse. Mm -hmm. Now, that is worth celebrating. I'm not saying that's not good. But most of the time we celebrate diversity in churches. It is because the minorities did the hard work. We got out of our comfort zone, went into an unfamiliar territory and made the church diverse. However, we don't see it the other way, or we very rarely see it, and that is the majority culture, white people coming into, let's just say in my case, a predominantly African-American environment and embracing our culture and, and the things that are important to us. So one of our missions is to invite people in to our culture to say, hey, guys, we don't bite you can learn just as much from us as we can learn from you. That's good. That's very good. And so uh, when it comes to this racial reconciliation uh, ministry that you have, what are some of the practices or, or how do you go about it? I mean, what, what's the posture that you take? I know you're saying you invite fo- folks in, but really how to just more specifically, how do you get at that? Well, um, a few years ago, after that god-awful summer that we had of those police shootings and that culminated in the Dallas police officers getting killed by a sniper, um, I had just reached uh, my my end of my of my rope. That was kind of a watershed event for me because I said, you know what, I have to do something. So I started reaching out to many of the white pastors in the Roswell area and just to talk about race. And we had some conversations and most and most of what I found out was that many of these pastors did not have a clue about American history, African-American history, and certainly didn't have a clue about really the reality of how other people lived outside of the white culture. So um, I devised a um, program called Conversations. And it is simply churches coming together in small groups 
and getting to know one another over a four-month period and going and walking them through the race issues, biblical issues, and doing it in a safe biblical environment. And uh, I started this program and we, we, we sent about 200 and something people through it. And now we've, we've had over a thousand people to go through this conversations movement program. And again, it is a small group learning experience on race in a church atmosphere done in a small group. So it's been going great. Uh, a lot of the pastors' lives have been changed. I started with the pastors first, and then after we had about nine months of meeting in small groups with pastors, we uh, offered it to our congregations. Of course, it was optional, and uh, many people signed up for it. Some people didn't because they just didn't feel like it would help. Uh, but many people who participated, they said that their lives were changed. So that's what I've been doing. Yeah, that, that's that's wonderful. What 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 kind of uh, obstacles and roadblocks have you seen uh, uh, come up uh, as you've been going about this work, both you know within your church and, and and also those you're trying to engage? And what are some tools that people might be able to use that might come up against those same roadblocks in 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 their outreach? Wow. Well, first of all, it starts with the leaders. If the leader can't get it, can't articulate it, is not broken by what is going on in our country, then whether he or she thinks it or not, it's going to come out in their preaching. Like I've had pastors to tell me, well, um, I've never said anything negative <laughs> about, you know, race stuff or this and that. So I'm right. sure, yeah, you know, it's, it's like your silence. That's what I tell them is speaking loud and clear. Hmm. So, um, so it starts at the top. Uh, I believe first and foremost, we have to enlighten and educate uh, the leaders uh, and and black and white leaders, and I'll use black and white people as my main example, even though you know their racial issues go beyond the black and white dynamic. However, the black and white dynamic has been lasting longer. It is more volatile, and I believe if we could use the black and white dynamic as our template and get that right, then everybody else can learn from it. So I'm going to refer to the black and white dynamic. So. If we can get black pastors and white pastors or black leaders and white leaders talking, uh, listening and being empathetic toward one another, we can go a long way. So here was the biggest challenge. The biggest challenge was many of the white leaders thought they already had it figured out. <laughs> that was the biggest. So when we came to the table. Sure. They did not come with a learning posture. Mm. They came with a posture of, oh, we know what's up. And, and they're literally going to tell the black guys what the problem is. And of course, that created a lot of tension and some pretty intense <laughs> uh, discussions. Yeah. I wanted to say arguments, but it really was an argument. <laughs> but so out of the initial 12 pastors that I met with, Eight of them bailed out. Wow. They couldn't handle the heat. Yeah. They and they weren't humble enough and they couldn't 
put themselves in a learning posture. Well, those four that stayed in the kitchen, stayed in this hot kitchen, uh, they eventually called some other pastors. And we still ended up with about 12 pastors, about four or five African-American pastors and about six or seven white pastors. And from there, we went through a nine month journey with each other. We went out on dates with our wives. Hmm. We went to movies. We we saw 12 Years a Slave. We saw, I mean, we saw some pretty heart-wrenching movies. We read books together. We looked, hmm. at, looked at documentaries together. We talked, we talked, we talked. We created an environment that was so safe that these guys could ask the black pastors anything. Hmm. And that's exactly what we wanted them to do. Right. And so that's what we did. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's excellent. It's interesting that you say that uh, a lot of folks thought they already had it figured out. I had a conversation one time where I went to speak to some pastors from the Northeast. And, you know, I went through the whole thing about racial reconciliation, how it's a tough process, what needs to be done. And I could sense that they were kind of like, well, this is the Northeast. We have this figured out. We're enlightened. You know, you might need that down south, but we don't really need that up here. Uh, So it was interesting. That's the kind of feel I got. But as soon as I was done, all the African-Americans ran up to me like, thank you so much, because we really needed this. Uh, We need to go through this process. And so you do get that sometimes. My question to you is. Um, I think you're absolutely right that I think uh, white evangelicals especially do need to step out of their comfort zones. My question is this, though. What do you think is required of the African-Americans within the process? Because as we know, God demands something of everyone, right? Even as the uh, the Hebrews were, were leaving, they had been deli- delivered from Egypt. He was still demanding something of them, right? He didn't just free them and, and say, do what you want to do. In this process, what are some of the tough parts for, for the African-Americans or other folks of color? Um, and, and what's demanded of them within that process to make it work? Well, let me tell you the most disappointing thing. Now, remember, I started with pastors and leaders first, and we went through nine months of doing life together. Well, after the nine months, now it was time for these leaders, black and white, to go to their churches and to announce to their churches, to their congregations, that we're going to be starting this this movement called the Conversations Movement. And we're going to be meeting in small groups with people from other churches who don't look like us. And we want you all to sign up if you're interested. Yeah. Now, believe it or not, the white churches signed up faster than the black churches did. My congregation that I pastor was very slow. And I was so upset. So I had a meeting. I said, guys, what's going on? What, what? And they were like, we're tired of talking about it. No, nothing is going to change. Um, we don't want to teach white people what to do. We're tired of it. You know, I, I mean, it was literally they felt like it was going to be a waste of their time because they had never been listened to before. And so I had to encourage the African-Americans to say, guys, we have to go through this. We have to give this a try. We have to open up our hearts. We cannot let our pain and our past uh, make us bitter. And, and so we have to open up our hearts again. And we have to be you know, open really to getting hurt again. So what I've found is that a lot of African-Americans, because we have been disappointed so much in this area, tend not to want to lean into it again real deeply because they don't think it's going to work. They don't think 
people are going to listen to him. So that was the biggest challenge. Then secondly, once African-Americans got in the group, I had to coach many of them on allowing the white people to articulate their perspective, whether it was right or wrong or indifferent, you have to let them talk. And so uh, that was that was very difficult because and Agore, I, I believe if black people were the majority, maybe we would even be the same way. But when you're the majority culture, you don't have to learn about other cultures. You don't have to step out of your comfort zone. Hmm. And and so some of the things that some of the white people and leaders would say were shocking to some of the black people. And I had to coach them on how to listen. Don't interrupt. And if anything, lean into their pain, their ignorance, their lack of understanding and 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 just meet them where they are. So to answer your question, the issue of bitterness, disappointment really was an impediment to many of the African-Americans getting involved. Yeah. Do you have do you have any examples of uh, uh, sort of this relational heart transformation uh, leading uh, these leaders to change the way that they operated? Um, I, I think, you know, frequently, especially among uh, younger people, uh, I often hear a critique that, uh, you know, uh, relationship building is is kind of a waste of time, and we need to be thinking, you know, structurally and systemically. Uh, but in my work, I've seen the the relationship building lead to structural uh, and systemic change. Is is that something you found as well, or has that been another one of those hurdles to get beyond sort of the relationship to to actually changing the way that that, that people think and act? Well, I've heard that argument a lot, and it is a legitimate argument. And that is, uh, you can have all the kumbaya moments that you can can see, but if it doesn't change structurally, then are you really making a difference? And so I contend that you have to start relationally first. Mm. Yeah. Start from the inside out. Mm. And if people's hearts aren't transformed, then the structural things will never change. So there are three things that I would tell people. First, you have to know the story. That's knowledge. So the first thing we had to do with many of the white leaders and white congregants who went through this program was to teach them the story. Many of them didn't know about slavery. Yeah, they knew it in general, but they didn't they didn't know about slavery. They didn't understand a lot of the things that happened during Jim Crow. And they attributed a lot of those things to bad people like the Ku Klux Klan, not knowing that it was people in high places that created laws like, you know, the Supreme Court when they passed down, you know, Plessy versus Ferguson. Mm. and, And even prior to that, the Dred Scott decision. I mean, these were the type of laws that were passed and policies that were passed that really gave a license to the Ku Klux Klan and, and to segregation. So the first thing we had to do is you have to know the story and then you have to own the story. Hmm. And owning it means that you input, you have you develop empathy. You hurt for the people in the story. 
you 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 don't look at it as just history because see to them is history to us is personal. Mm. I, I had to tell a person in my group. I said, "You look at Jim Crow, you know, one way, but that was my granddad." Mm getting beat up. Those were my uncles and relatives and, and relatives, friends hanging from those trees. You know, when, when, so it's personal to me. Just earlier this, this month, uh, we saw uh, the the gentleman who I believe was the father of one of the girls who uh, died uh, uh, at the, one of the four girls that died at the church bombing uh, just passed just earlier this month. I mean, so yeah, there are constantly these reminders that uh, th- this uh, this wasn't long ago, and in many ways, it's still obviously happening uh, today. So I, I think that's that's really important. But, but I didn't mean to interrupt. No, but I just saw that news alert pop up, and I, you know, it was it was stunning to uh, again see just how how recent this all was. Wow. Yeah. So so know the story, own the story, which is a heart issue. So know the story is a head issue. You got to know what happened. Own the story is a heart issue. And then you have to change the story. That's when you get them involved, get them active. They become anti-racist people, uh, not just sitting on the sidelines doing nothing. So those are the three things. Know, own, and change. That is excellent and very helpful. Well, we are coming to the end of our time. This has been an excellent conversation. And Pastor Jenkins, I just want to give you an opportunity to, to say any last words you might have and tell people how they can uh, connect with you. You can connect with me on uh, social media at Lee Allen Jenkins. That's L-E-E-A-L-L-E-N Jenkins, J-E-N-K-I-N-S. You can find me on Instagram or you can find me on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, Also, you can go to Lee Jenkins Group. Dot com. That's LeeJenkinsGroup.com. Or you can just go to EaglesNestChurch.org. EaglesNestChurch.org. I would say the last thing I would say about this area is it is hard work. Hmm. It is most people aren't willing to go through the pain and the really even some agony of of racial reconciliation. We look at it as a picnic, as something nice to do. It is it is very difficult. And so I would just want to encourage people that it is worth the difficulty. And one of the reasons that we haven't seen uh, change is we haven't been willing to confront this thing. So whatever we won't confront, we won't change. So I just want to encourage people to confront it. Yes, it's going to be some pain involved, but the end result is incredible. Wow, I've seen it happen. Well, it sounds like it's going to take some courage and humility, but we are happy that you have uh, broached the conversation and we wish you, uh, uh, you know, that you have a very successful ministry. We appreciate what you're doing and thank you so much for joining us, Pastor Jenkins. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, it was just such a joy to talk with Lee and uh, really hope that uh, you enjoyed it. It was uh, great to have Leon as a guest. Again, uh, Lee is someone that you can follow on social media. You can go to his website, leejenkinsgroup.com. Uh, if you're in the Roswell area, uh, check out Eagle's Nest Church. 
Uh, and if you need to get your financial life in order, Lee can help you with that as well. Uh, folks, it is uh, a lot going on. We're seeing 2020s developing. We're seeing increasing tensions with Iran. Uh, we're seeing President Trump and Speaker Pelosi uh, get into extended back and forth, which could become a, a feature of our politics in this season. There's just a lot going on. And so in the coming weeks, Justin and I are going to uh, get back, delve into more of it with you uh, as we bring you both analysis of what's going on in the area of faith and politics. And then like today, bringing to you uh, experts and leaders who are thinking deeply about uh, things that matter. That's all we have for this episode. It's been so great being with you. We'll see you next week. This is the Church Politics Podcast. Good came out of Nazareth. This is the groove. Tell me, yeah. can you it? I'm schooled in the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave. I'm unchained. I'm Frederick Douglass with a fame. The news on flavored e-cigs talks a lot about the technology and teen use. But parents need to know more about the dangers of nicotine. So know this. One, nicotine is a toxic poison that can rewire teens' brains. Two, it can increase mood swings. Three, it can limit attention and learning. So even when it tastes like candy, nicotine is brain poison. Go to flavorshookkids.org for more. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.